Welcome back to another edition of the Todd Pod. My name is Todd Lizenby. My guest today is Eli Letterman. We will talk to him shortly, but first, let's thank our sponsors, MidFirst Bank, the Laser Light Skin Clinic, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Fire Lake Casino, and Oklahoma Ford Dealers. Drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford Dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. He is Eli Letterman. He writes all about the Oklahoma Sooners at Eli-Letterman.com. You can check out the Letterman jacket on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, or on YouTube. We had a whole episode this week talking about OU football over on the Letterman jacket that you can check out, but right now we're going to talk some proper football. Eli, tough weekend for your Spurs. We'll talk about that soon, but we have to start with what we saw on Sunday. It was an eight-goal thriller at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea four, Manchester City four. Two goals for Erling Holland, but Man City are sunk by two goals from former Man City servants Raheem Sterling and Cole Palmer with the penalty in the 95th minute wins or rescues a point for Chelsea against Man City. So I know you were kind of watching that in passing as you were working on some other things. Mm -hmm. As a neutral, how did you experience it? Well, for one, that was quite a slip there, calling it a Chelsea win, right? I think there is something of a victory here. But you left out the, the coolest, most important part of the game, the biggest development of them all. Mauricio Pochettino and Kyle Walker, that hug at the end. Oh, man, that is what I, I was tuned in for that. I might have missed bits and pieces here and there. I was tuned in for that. That was the moment of the game. But you're right. From a neutral perspective, highly entertaining. We love that from like a Sunday, you know, meeting in the big six when your team's not in it. Um, Man City Chelsea as a Spurs fan is kind of just like, you know, if, if the ground at Stanford Bridge had caved in Batman, you know, Bane style, I wouldn't have been too upset either. But if they've got to play and someone's got to come away with a result, a 4-4, uh, you know, goal-filled draw does it for me. And that, and that had all of it. Let's start with the Chelsea side because Chelsea have just taken four points from Tottenham, who were at the top of the table, and now Man City, who are at the top of the table. They've taken four points from them in two matches. They've scored eight goals in two matches as well. I know they're extenuating circumstances with Tottenham being down to nine men last weekend. But do you feel like Poch in any way, shape, or form is starting to put his imprint on this Chelsea team? I think so. And you've been starting to see this. like The, the Arsenal game, uh, what, it was the 2-2 draw, Chelsea-Arsenal a few weeks back. That was one of the first signals. We, we've seen bits and pieces that were good with Chelsea, but that was one of the first days against you know another quote-unquote title contender, certainly top four you know, front runner where Chelsea looked good and looked like the things that Mauricio Pochettino is trying to do were translating. So that's really positive. I'm, I'm probably not there yet on 10th place Chelsea, which outside of being, you know, nine-man Tottenham don't have a win against the, the top six yet. I'm not diminishing right. anything they've done, and it, it was always going to be a work in progress, but I'm not quite ready to put them, you know, to say they're back and that, you know, the, the teams in the top four should be sweating it. But they're looking better and, and shoot, taking it to City the way they did. There's not many you know better teams you can do that to to prove that you're on your way. Well, I think Cole Palmer has been a really good addition mm -hmm. for him. Um, he's And obviously I love him because he's a former Man City player. I think it's cool when they go and have success other places. And he's been a guy who's slotted right in. You know, he's played in a lot of pressure games. He scored in the Super Cup this year for Man City. Like he's, he's played in some pressure environments uh, in a City shirt, and he didn't seem phased. 
I, I think Raheem Sterling has his moments, and right now he's in a good run of form. And, you know, I think you just look statistically at the way they took it to Man City. I think that's impressive. You have to have players to be able to do that. Uh, there are two ways to beat Man City. One is you hang back, you hang back, you try to get a goal on a counterattack, and then you hang on. And I don't feel like Chelsea played that way at all, and they earned a 4-4 draw. So mm-hmm. I, I was really impressed with how they played. Yeah, I think they. I mean, the, the front line was great. I mean, Raheem Sterling against his former team looked fabulous. Cole Palmer, impressive performance. I mean, they, they've got all the quality there. We've known that about Chelsea. It is not... On the whole, we can debate, you know, I'd like to talk about the midfield, but like they've spent a lot of money and they've got a lot of good players. There's no two ways about it. That does not, as we've seen, always equal success. But in that, in the game again against City, it showed that the quality they had up front was good enough to go toe to toe with City and they had all the firepower. I'm still wondering, like I watch Enzo Fernandez, who has been impressive at times, but still waiting for that hundred million dollar performance from him. Uh, you could say that about a lot of guys in Chelsea's squad. And so, that, again, that's where separating this from the big picture, like I still have a lot of questions there. But this was impressive. And uh, when you have that kind of talent, when they create the amount of chances they do, even against a Manchester City, you're going to get results like yesterday and entertaining matches like we got to see. So you cover Oklahoma football, Eli, which means you deal with 11 a.m. kickoffs all the time. Mm-hmm. This week it's a 10 a.m. local kickoff in Provo. But because of that, there are many Saturday morning matches that you either have to take in from the press box before the game or sometimes even during an Oklahoma game. You've got to keep one eye on it. You had that perfect setup on Saturday, night game, Tottenham playing early. You knew Tottenham were beat up. Uh, they lead 1-0. They end up losing 2-1 to Wolves. Stoppage time goals from Sarabia and Lamina for Wolves. Sarabia's, which was... Spicy, quite a juicy take by mm-hmm. Sarabia there. And Tottenham lose 2-1 after leading for 90-plus minutes. How'd you take it in? Felt very familiar. It, we, we've enjoyed so much of the good early on with Ange this year. It felt like being a Tottenham fan. Um, you know, 8.30 in the morning, and you're just sitting in stunned silence alone in your apartment. It's a unique kind of uh, <laughs> Premier League torture, <laughs> right? We've all be, We've all been there. But yeah, it was sort of a, I mean, Tottenham just completely ravaged by injury, by red cards. Uh, I think an interesting stat and a good piece of perspective. Only one of the 13 outfield players who played on Saturday was signed by Antosta Coglet. So he did not have the guys that they've brought in to play his system available. And it showed early goal, really, really nice goal, but they couldn't really keep it up from there. They're really just hanging on with, with Eric Dyer and Ben Davis in defense, and that is not. Uh, when you're playing a high line, those are not two guys you you really look to and say they they, they fit. Uh, and eventually they got burned. They kind of it was a beautiful goal, the, the equalizer. They were fading late, and and the goal they gave up in the 96th minute was also a really nice one. And they just kind of got hit on the counter. Um, so highly disappointing. That's what I would say. It was a bummer of a Saturday morning because then I just had to sit and know I had to go work at night. I'm telling you, man, Premier League is the greatest because you can watch some you know watch a sport you really care about at 6 30 a.m but then before nine o'clock your day is either yep. on a complete upward or a downward and then you just got to face the rest of the day that's what saturday was like yeah i mean i honestly if people if people want to know uh i feel like i've made a lot of steps in my mental health over the last few years <laughs> and i don't think 
it's any coincidence that Man City have had two of their most successful years ever. So um, I think that makes it a lot easier. You are not lying about that. I guess now uh, for Tottenham, Eli, the international break couldn't come at a better time, right? Indeed. International break comes at a really good time. They've got to get through the next two games, which will be Villa and then City without Christian Romero because he's been so important, not just to the setup and what they do as one of the best defenders in the world probably, but in terms of being a progressive passer, like they, they play out from the back, they, they're a build-up system, and it showed the other day when you're missing the guys who help you build up, and that was Christian Romero, that was Mickey Vandeven, Destiny Adogi, all three were out. Um, they didn't have the build-up play, and then you wonder why they're not getting service to, to Son or Kulisevsky or those guys. So that was the issue. They need to get him back. They're not going to have James Madison or Mickey Vandeven until at least January. That's yeah, weathering the storm over the next month is really going to be the key. And, and they're going to have to do it leaning on guys who have, you know, these are all the lightning rods in the Tottenham fan base who like, you know, the, the most extreme fans just can't, can't understand how Eric Dyer is a Premier League footballer. Bottom line is Eric Dyer is a very quality Premier Leaguer. He's got his flaws. We've seen them over the years. And for the next month, Tottenham have to lean on guys like that in a system they don't really fit in and hope for the best. And that's, you know, I'll get behind that. It was, it was a fun watch. It was a different kind of watch the other day, but point is they've got to survive. They've gone from, uh, you know, top of the table, you know, could they even contend? We were entertaining those dreams to now just get to January when they can add guys, when they're going to get guys healthy. Cause until then it's going to be a shorthanded Tottenham. And, and I think it might be a, a perhaps a dark festive period for Spurs, depending on how yeah, things cre- go. Credit to Gary O'Neill as well. I know you <laughs> mentioned the last time we talked Premier League that uh, Bournemouth may get punished because they let him walk. Uh, and Gary O'Neill has gone to Wolves and been really, really good. They've taken points at home, three from Man City and three from Tottenham. There aren't going to be many teams in the Premier League, if any other teams mm-hmm. in the Premier League, that do that this season. So he deserves a whole lot of credit there at Molyneux, which is one of my favorite stadium names. It's a great name. Wolves are highly, they've always been likable, except for the last few years. That sort of that post Nuno era, um, yep. just kind of, they were, they lost what they'd been right when they came up and they were sort of those, they were punching up as a promoted side for a few years under Nuno. And they lost that and they even, you know, flirted with relegation. They've, they're really fun again. And Gary O'Neill, man, I've been pounding that drum. Bournemouth, he saved them from relegation last year and they said, eh, we're going to get someone better, someone you know, perceived to be more inventive, whatever else, who's got Wolves playing not just, you know, well out of the relegation zone, but really fun, beating big six sides at home. Gary O'Neill, man. And it, I'll say this, I, I was not happy in the moment, but watching that guy get to celebrate and, and what some of what they've done at Wolves, kind of bringing the fun back has been pretty cool. By the way, I want to go back to the uh, Man City-Chelsea thing real quick. I I've forgot got to mention to this. Too, by the way. Uh huh. What do you got? No, no. You continue. Well, continue. well, I was just gonna say, have have we kind of just thought? Is it now so normal that we don't talk about how crazy Erling Holland's scoring record is? He gets it's two absurd. more goals on Saturday. I don't know if you heard the stat or not, Eli, but he has one more goal to get to fifty Premier League goals, and he will be the fastest to ever get there. He's got to score that one goal sometime in the next seventeen games to break the record. <laughs> Which is just wild, right? That or he's on his way to some 
un, like phenomenal cooler in front of net, and he's going to need those 17 right. games. More likely well, than not. That's the crazy part about it. Like, I watch Man City week in and week out. He has been on a cooler this year. Mm-hmm. He could have easily scored 10 to 15 more goals. Yeah. It's like, it's just, it's become so normal. And I think it's kind of like, it's, it's a little bit to me. Uh, and he's 23 now, I think. I think he's at his 23rd birthday. But it's a little bit to me like Otani in baseball. I think fans aren't appreciating it because they've become so used to it now. You know, yep. it's just, oh, yeah, Otani threw a, had a two hitter. Oh, and he had, he had two homers in the second game of the doubleheader. That's just normal now. Uh, but it's not normal what Erling Holland is doing in a in a league that is the best in the world. He's on volume. You know, I think you could look at, let's say, like a Harry Kane or Robert Lewandowski and say they do more than Erling Holland does and, you know, have, are, are probably more technical, have certain skills he just doesn't have. But what matters in this sport more than anything? Scoring goals. And there's nobody scoring goals the way Erling Holland is. It's stunning. Although Harry Kane he scored is with his crotch. He did he scored indeed. with he his crotch on scored. Sunday. I think the quote was, I've never scored with my balls before. Uh, <laughs> and that's a quote. Um, I will say Harry Kane racking up the goals in Germany. But here, here was my city point, and not to, not to uh, just find a negative, but Ruben Diaz, uh, long thought to do, almost like um, just assumed to be the, the best defender in the Premier League, and for good reason. I mean, he came in and completely transformed their defense in the last few seasons. But there have been some questions, and that was not a banner performance against Chelsea, down to uh, the penalty concession at the end. Any concerns? Uh, Diaz has had those moments, though, I think, throughout his City career. He he famously conceded the penalty against Real Madrid that was part of that comeback in the uh, semifinal second mm-hmm. leg, and what would that have been, 21? Um, so Or 22, I guess it was. 22. Yeah, 22. So he uh, he... He has had those moments before, just in general, in big matches, more often than not, he seems to make plays. And I would agree. He was not at his best. And I do think as he's gotten older, he needs more rest. And right now, City are banged up a little bit. Stones is injured. Ake is injured. So in the back four, there's just not a whole lot there. They may go out and buy somebody in January, kind of like they did Manuel Akanji last year. And if they can get anyone half as good as he's been, that would be an incredible buy for them in January. Also, it's worth noting, I think that back four is always, it's so reliant on Rodri because he's so good at what he does at that holding midfield that when he's injured or Mm -hmm. uh, suspended like he was, they don't have cover for that. They've lost Fernandinho now having moved on, you know, aged out of his contract and Calvin Phillips has not been good for him. They're going to sell him, it looks like in January. And the rumors out there is that they may still be on for a move for Lucas Paqueta. As kind of the you know second guy, yeah, or maybe play with two holding midfielders at times, or maybe even work Rodri into that role that John Stones played last year, which is a midfielder slash you know center back. So exactly the the new Pep role. Yes, and I I, Pep is so fun because he comes up with new ways every year, and he's he'll he'll figure it out. He usually does. it helps that he's got really good players, but he's also very creative. And that's what, that's Indeed. what to me is the most fun about watching Pep Guardiola and Man City. Man City are at the top right now, but there's a log jam, Eli. You've got right behind them Liverpool and Arsenal, one point behind. Tottenham, two points behind. You've got, uh, you've got uh, Aston Villa sitting in fifth right now, three points behind Manchester City. I went back and looked. 
through 12 matches last year, City were two behind Arsenal, and then third place was five points behind. So Villa is closer, almost as close as Man City were last year to Arsenal through 12 matches. So um, I, I don't think it's being appreciated enough what Aston Villa are doing. But those two teams right below Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, with big wins this weekend, pretty convincing wins. I feel a little bit, I don't know about you, but Liverpool flying under the radar as well. They rebounded, had the Europa League loss uh, to to Toulouse in France, and they rebound and get the win this weekend. I thought going into the season they might be dangerous and still do. Toulouse. I, I had a feeling they might had their... Uh... To lose over the during the week. Huh? Did you? Was that good? Did you? Did you see the uh, press conference yeah. with Klopp? Yeah, that's only that's his second most recent press conference where he was complaining about something. Now, because he was, I mean, he was for those who didn't see it, um, the press area for the visiting side at Toulouse uh, was what underneath where all the ultras were. Yep, and he's given Ultra, ultras. If you don't know, is a super fan basically. Correct. And he was given his press conference after a loss. And he's uh, as great as Jurgen Klopp is, is not the most gracious loser. Uh, he's getting asked questions and you can just hear all these. I mean, th- I don't know how many thousands, but like thousands upon thousands of people jumping and singing. And he just lost his patience. I say it's his only his second most recent uh, whiny press conference because now he's complaining about what they got a, a, an early kick for Manchester City whenever they yep. play. Jurgen Klopp, who I really, really like, he's fabulous, really finds a way to complain about just about anything, and it is running a bit thin. I, I Honestly, I think a lot of it from him is tongue-in-cheek or, you know, just being uh, a little bit Popovichy, if you will, and I don't hate it. Yeah. I, I get it. I don't hate it. I think he does it in a way that's almost kind of charming to me, but also, um, you know, I, I could see where it could wear you the wrong way if you were the team that beat them and that happened. <laughs> uh, that's the thing. Man City hasn't beat them very often, and I haven't yeah. seen him mad after Man City has beaten them, especially at Anfield. They never do. But that match is coming up, uh, Man City-Liverpool, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. We got an international break this weekend, but they'll get us going 6.30 a.m. Saturday after Thanksgiving. And uh, Eli and I have talked. We might have to get out and watch that somewhere. Maybe. We'll see. We'll find somewhere we'll to watch see. it, I think. We shall see. Um, all right, let's talk about one more thing because when you get past those top five, you get to Man United, you get to Newcastle. Newcastle lose 2-0 to Bournemouth. Big win for the Cherries. And I don't know if you saw the video of Kieran Trippier getting into Indeed. it with the Newcastle fans. Uh, they're beat up right now. They're experiencing that Champions League grind that we talk about. They're in the toughest group in the Champions League, and it is wearing on them right now. I think they've only won two of their last seven road matches. And they sit right now seven points back, or excuse me, eight points back of Manchester City on 20 points total. Uh, what do you think of Newcastle? Should there be concern there? Well, injuries are a really real thing. We probably haven't given them enough credit. Uh, I'm not saying Newcastle injuries enough credit this year. You know, it's really fun to clown Man- Manchester United. They've had a lot of injuries. Tottenham now getting tripped up by that. Newcastle. Sometimes it is that simple. It's not some existential thing of, oh man, like what is wrong at place X? It's, hey, you know, for instance, Tottenham are without nine first team players, especially for a a team that was going to be thin to begin with. That's going to make a difference. Newcastle having to play multiple competitions now, playing in the Champions League. You mentioned that group with PSG 
and AC Milan and Dortmund. Then you lose a bunch of guys like these teams, unless you're Man City and you're breaking 115 financial fair play laws, um, don't just have unlimited <laughs> depth is the point. I had to get my pot hang on, shot. Hang on one second. Is, Let me get that real quick. Yep. <laughs> God bless. But even though, even well, Man City, being, though, Eli, even yeah. Man City, I got to remind myself when they struggle, they're thin right now in the back no one four and no, Kev, and, and no Kevin De Bruyne. Um, and and but we said it, you know, when we were talking in August or whenever we, you know, we're, I guess it would have been September, talking about these teams. Brighton's another one where I don't know if they're as injured, but when you climb into the into the European competition and you are Brighton or you are Newcastle or even Villa, Villa have been impressive to this point. You're playing more and your team is stretched, and particularly a, a Villa, um, a Brighton, Newcastle to a different degree. You're simply just not built to compete at the same level. You know, you, most of these teams, uh, you know, get into the, the European places by playing once a week, right? Because they're not playing yep. in Europe the year before. And then the next season you get in and that comes with a lot of money. But building a, a, a squad that can compete in four competitions is not easy. Yep. And I think you see that build up. So whether Newcastle's worn down physically as a result of playing as many games as it has, or it's just not helping now. The fact is they're, they're physically worn down. You can see the frustration for Kieran Trippier. Another Spurs great. Spurs right backs getting a lot of play. Former Spurs right backs getting a lot of play on this pod. Um, but yeah, Newcastle slipping. Brighton, another one. And uh, Deserby getting frustrated. I, again, I predicted that they might struggle a bit having to play in Europe during the week. And it's showing uh, right now. Yeah, and I, I think um, I think Newcastle will continue to struggle. And also, it's not just not only just playing that schedule, but if you're going to play an attractive style of football, that takes a toll on you. That means running, mm-hmm. that means pressing. High pressing, all that. Yeah, that's hard to manage when you play a really busy uh, schedule. So uh, I, I would expect them to finish out of the top four this season, and right now they are trending that direction. All right, Eli, before we go today, I'm going to do something a little different. So did you ever see, you're young, you've seen the show Inside the Actor's Studio, right? Of course. Okay, so... I'm going to ask you the James Lipton questionnaire. Now, there are some that I may have to leave out. Uh, But I'm going to ask you the James Lipton questionnaire. But I'm going to ask it soccer-related, all right? Okay. So let's start with this one. When it comes to soccer terms or maybe something a broadcaster says, what's your favorite soccer word or phrase? I think it might be scythed, like a scything challenge. Okay. I can hear Peter All Drury right. saying that in my ear right now. S C I T H I N G, right? Yes, I think so. Okay. And it's there are uh is another good one. All right. It's like a shot. I've I've heard I think it was Rodri actually recently had a shot that Peter Drury said was clarted. Um there's the the language of soccer football is one of my absolute favorite things. So I love that I love, question. So I love physio instead of trainer. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think that's really fun. I also love, uh, like, you know, we would go, hey, he's uh, he's out or questionable to return with a left knee contusion. And on in soccer, they would say he took a bit of a knock, oh. which I think is great as well. A knock, knock is, is really so good. Vague. Um, yes, it's very vague, yes. Also a fan of just the kit man being like the equipment manager, but kit man is, is perfect. Yep. I think yes, he kind of got is. popularized a bit by Ted Lasso and all that, but kit man is a perfect name for that role. 
All right, what's your least favorite soccer word or phrase? And this is a little tougher one. I'll I'll just give you mine while you're thinking because I'm popping this on you mm-hmm. sight unseen. But I and it's because I've always used it the other way and I've probably used it improperly. But when they say just about, it always confuses me. For example, if a, the ball goes in and barely rolls over the line, I would say, you know, it just went in. And they say it just about went in. To me, I think just about went in means it came up short. So I always have to, in my mind, remind myself of that. That one and the other one is how they say sixth when they read the standings. Sixth with a K instead of an X. I can't stand that either. Hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on both. I have a love-hate relationship with unlucky. That is a, in just in like British <laughs> right. uh, speaking or, uh, you know, that that English unlucky they use all over the place, not just in soccer, but it's just such a funny thing. You would never, ever hear an American announcer speaking about a play in a football game here. Ah, unlucky, unlucky. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, so I, it, it frustrates me when you hear it in soccer. At the same time, sometimes it's all it is. If a, if a pass slips through a guy's hands in the NFL, that is like a storyline for an entire week. And no different than, than the Premier League. If a keeper, you know, has a howler, another great word. Um, you know, but like unlucky, sometimes it's just like a 50-50 play. And like sometimes you miss. And on replay, it looks really glaring. Unlucky sometimes applies, but it typically more often than not just bothers me. It's such an odd way to evaluate sports i've never been to a match in england to a premier league match but i would imagine if you're in the stands you probably hear that from the fans a lot like oh unlucky 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 unlucky." yeah you probably hear that a lot the entire match um okay this one's another interesting one what turns you on so what as far as soccer turns you on is it a really good goal is it a really good pass what is it that makes you go oh this is why i love this sport it's probably a really, really, really well hit long ball, either from, I mean, this is like nitty gritty, but either from a central defender, like a pinged, another good word, like diagonal pass, or like Luka Modric is the king of this, but just when a, a midfielder who knows how to hit a ball just hits a perfect pass, it falls, and whoever is on the receiving end of it has to do nothing but finish it. Um, those better than like a you know a shot into the top bin which a lot of people would point to just you know those perfect goals that you know hit the crossbar and down a well well placed pass really gets me going uh i for me it's the uh it's the one two mm. it's the one two or it's a volley finish i think those are my favorites uh any volley finish i'm a big fan of you know All what right, a uh, nice a nice volley into the ground cuz so so often you yeah. see an attempted volley straight on the goal <clears throat> Sometimes they go in more often than not. That's when you see a volley go 30 seats up and or 30 rows up into the stands. But Manchester United Champions League last week, the winner by 17 year old Rooney Bargy, Rooney beating Manchester United. How about that? He had the presence at 17 years old to hit that volley into the ground. And from there, it's completely unpredictable. Andre Onana had no chance. There was a lot of poise there for a 17 year old, but that is a particular kind of volley. I'm all behind. It's the volley into the ground, then into the net. All right. What turns you off? What What do you hate to see when you watch soccer? Uh, teams that sit back. I'm uh, not talking about um, about you know Luton Town, who just clinging on for dear life, right? Like they've got to 
just by the setup and when they're playing in Manchester City, they've got to sit back. But it is teams like the Tottenham teams of Antonio Conte, which is we're going to give you the ball. It doesn't matter, you know, that we've got a, a Champions League squad and, you know, one of the six highest wage bills in the country. We're going to sit back, give you possession and just kind of be boring and defend. Uh, not for the sake of defending, but for the sake of, of not blowing a lead. I guess the way of putting it is we're going to try not to lose this game as opposed to we're going to try to win it. Uh, there is no doubt about it that when you watch, you know, on the other hand of that Tottenham right now with Ange Postacoglu, you watch City, teams that possess the ball and try to do something with it. That's the most exciting football there is. So the opposite of that is probably my least favorite thing in the sport. I understand pragmatism, so I get it, even though I don't like it. My least favorite thing is uh, people rolling around acting like they're dead after a small challenge. Mm. Um, that's that's probably number one for me. I get it. I get that sometimes too, but I still hate it. Uh, number one on the list. Hold on, I got I'm, one other gonna... answer. I do have one okay. other answer because the question was, "What is your least, your biggest turnoff in all of soccer?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arsenal Football Club. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to skip what's your favorite soccer curse word. We're going to skip that one, and maybe we'll do that. You know, if you, I don't think I can say that uh, one on the sellout crowd airways. Yeah, I don't think I can either. What sound or noise do you love mm. in soccer? So a really good one is when, let's say, uh, a team is on the road, and one of those long passes I referenced goes awry, and it just doesn't land, and it goes out of bounds. The mocking hey, from the rest hey, of the crowd that, yeah. mm -hmm. is fabulous. Um, I also do love, you know, we were talking about like the when you say unlucky, but like a, when there's a great move that finishes just with a miss, it's almost there, and the home crowd applauds anyway because they're, they're just applauding the effort. Like, hey, we are pushing that. The uh, the clap after that, after a near chance when the momentum is rising and maybe even the crowd kind of comes to life after one of these missed chances, you can feel the momentum swinging. Those noises are good, but it's definitely that a of an errant pass. That's a really good call. Um, I love when I think it's with a volley as well. When you hear the thud of the ball off yeah. the foot and then the back of the net, when you can hear them both clearly, it doesn't get much better than that for me. Uh, what sound or noise do you hate? And I'll go first. It's that little quick whistle because that usually means we're going to see this, which means VAR review. Uh, it's a great, great point. Uh, for one, Mikel Arteta's voice when he's complaining about officiating or anything <laughs> else. Uh, uh, that's good. You know what? It's, it's, the, it's easy. The final whistle in a deflating loss, especially oh. when it's one of those drawn out. It's like one... One, one, that killer. Yes. Just, it's the final dagger. That was me Saturday morning, uh, 8.30. My heart had already been ripped out of my chest before I'd had my second cup of tea. And, Especially uh, when it's one of those ones where killer. the players crumple to the ground just like you're doing on your insides. Mm -hmm. Just everything is going poorly for yeah, you. Yeah, that just it rips it out. Um, yeah, I'm with you. That's a good answer. Yeah. That's a good answer. All right, so... The the James Lipton question here is, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? But I'm going to do a little soccer spin on it. What team other than your own would you be okay with supporting if Tottenham ceased to exist? Anywhere in the world? Sure. I mean, Napoli would be my second favorite club. and Maybe this isn't giving you the revealing answer you'd like, but Napoli are up there for me. Um, I love teams in the Bundesliga. Um, 
but Napoli, I, I love the their story just in terms of where they are in Italy. They're they're the team in the south that historically is looked down upon, as as is the city from you know the Juventus and uh, and Roma and, and the Milan club. So I, I love their story. Uh, I'm a Diego Maradona aficionado, and so Napoli that would be the club supporting that. Uh, if I picked another, it would be them. It's going to be weird to you, but I think I might go Aston Villa, truthfully. That's and a good I'm, one. I'm not saying that just, in fact, I hate that I'm admitting that because our buddy K-Man's going to hear that and give me hell about it. But, yeah. Um, I just, I I don't know. I like, there's a lot of history with them, which is cool. Uh, you know, they've got over 100 years. They're in an old stadium, which I think is awesome. They've kind of got that, you know, northern grit about them. So I think I would go Aston Villa. Uh, what the team? Club. By the way, that I also would, although I don't think I'd wish that yeah. on just about anybody right now. I know, Everton, I know. Kind of like Villa. Everton's got that old school, but you know, still an institution. They've been around forever. They've been really good at times. Uh, falling on some hard times now, though. So I wouldn't wish that now. But they are a club I, I hold in high regard. Other than an arch rival like an Arsenal for you, what team could you never, ever support? Who's number one on the hate list? Uh, I think it's Manchester United. I mean, I'd say Chelsea, but I consider them an arch rival too. My issue with United, and I, it's so easy on the outside of any fan base to make assumptions about another, but I, and we've hit on it more practically in terms of the soccer or football standpoint on this show in the past, but a club that seems to just sign players for the sake of signing them and without direction, mm-hmm. I think would drive me so, so, so mad. Because I'm not, as a fan by nature, the one saying, hey, we need to go get $70 million players, and I just want to assemble the all-star team I could assemble in FIFA. The most fun I've had in my soccer-watching lifetime have been really well-constructed teams with guys signed for, you know, say, $15 million who turn into $75 million players. That, to me, is fun. So a club where every loss is followed by just complaining about the owners and where every signing is the next one, but it's just the, you know, it's Anthony. It's, um, I mean, Jaden Sancho, I think still is a fabulous player, but it's not happening there. I think that would drive me crazy. Um, I, I can't say man United for the same reason mm-hmm. you can't say Arsenal. Uh, I would go, honestly, it's weird. Eli. I don't really hate any team in the premier league uh, other than man United. I, I have small reasons for liking all of them. I have most all of the big clubs. I have friends that support them that I don't think are the worst people ever. Um, so I'm going to say Real Madrid for me is the team that I dislike the most. They've, they've one of my worst soccer moments uh, was that Champions League semifinal that we referenced. So I'd say Real Madrid, although if, if I'm going Premier League and I have to pick one, it's probably Tottenham. And that has more to do with the fact that Tottenham have beaten Man City uh, like City can't win at Tottenham. It's pretty hilariously fun funny being now. a Tottenham fan, man. In another life, we'd be Tottenham buddies, and we would just God. be wrapping it up, and we'd have no great no memories of Harry Winks. And no chance. I look too fat and white, and all the Tottenham Tottenham's <laughs> kits are all white. Uh, all right, last one. So the James Lipton question is: When you get to heaven at the pearly gates, what would you like to hear when you arrive? What would you like to hear God say to you? So I'm going to ask you this one: If if heaven exists, when you get there, if you can watch one footballer play live, who would you pick, dead or alive? Wow, that's a great question. Um, the answer is probably Diego Maradona. 
I don't think there's anyone more fun and who lived life in Eli, more extreme. I, Eli, I, I said heaven. He's up there, man. He's having fun. Okay, He's okay, having a okay. lot of fun. He's right. up there. That's a reasonable point. Uh, Harry Kane and Hungman's <laughs> son, runner-ups. Um, Jude Bellingham might already be like in that class, but no one... Part of the reason I appreciate Diego Maradona so much, not many humans lived the extremes of life that he did, whether it was coming from extreme poverty or the the heights he reached in soccer or the lows he reached in his personal life. Or I'm sure he has nights, Todd, that you and I could never dream of having in his life. And he's probably got lows that neither of us could, could dream of having. So I've always appreciated, I guess, the full breadth of the human experience he got to enjoy. And on the soccer field, he was flatly fantastic. So he's up there. He's having a good time up in heaven. And uh, that's what I'd want to watch. How about you? I, I think I might go. I mean, Pele obviously comes to mind. Um, similar just because I think he'd be fun to hang out with. And it's crazy how our minds work. I might go George Best. I know he was a Man United guy. But um, even some of the video I've seen about him, he first off, he was amazing what he could do with the ball on his foot. Uh, but also quite the character. <laughs> Um, this is not a sexy one, but I, I really wish I would have gotten a chance to see Vincent Company play. He's probably my sit- favorite city player ever, and I didn't really get to watch him do it. It's not sexy to say you pick a defender, but he'd be up there for me as well. And then and then I think also because I came in tail end of his career, Zidane is up there. I never really saw him at his greatest. Uh, that was kind of before I got into soccer, so he'd be up there for me too. Good ones. I uh, You think... Vincent Kopany is going to hold on to his job? No. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. It's too cutthroat, man. It's so hard to come up and play that style at the next level. It's it really I is. mean, I mean, we're seeing it at the at in the football way in the Big 12 right now. Like it's taken 2 thirds of the season for Central Florida to get it figured out. You know, Houston and Cincinnati both can't seem to get off the mat and BYU is just fading fast. So it's it's make- hard to come up does that make Burnley the UCF of the Premier League? <laughs> I mean, right now Burnley is more the Cincinnati, I think of the well, mm. Sheffield United would be the Cincinnati. Yeah, I think you'd have to go Bournemouth is BYU, <laughs> Sheffield is I don't know. We'll do this. Maybe maybe this will be yeah. ranking something silly. Who's most like there Burnley this week in the Premier League uh compared to the Big 12. Eli, it's been fun as always. We got an international break coming up, so we'll get back after Thanksgiving, we'll have a feast of games mm. on the weekend after Thanksgiving, including uh, Man City and Liverpool. Don't forget, everyone, go subscribe to the Letterman Jacket. We had a full podcast talking OU football, so go over there and check that out. Also, we want to thank uh, the producer of this, Jacqueline Musgrove, who is the best, our creative director, Michael Lane as well. Thanks to all of you. If you like what you heard or saw, subscribe, like, comment, give us a good rating. All that stuff at YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. You've been listening to the Todd Pod. Mm-hmm.